This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing Strange New Worlds Episode 3, Ghosts of Illyria. But first, we've got some news, and we're starting off with movie news that is going to sound a little familiar, but the person who said the thing that's familiar is a new person. which is basically carl urban is giving his you know he's been doing interviews for the boys so of course he gets asked about star trek and he says a very familiar thing which everybody else has been saying which is basically i've heard it's happening i want it to happen i'm excited and i don't know anything well i think the the key here is The expectation that it's going to happen. He says it's all just a matter of logistics. When the interviewer pressed him about timing and, you know, how can you make this work? He said, look, where there's a will, there's a way. And there's definitely a will. What's interesting, he and others have expressed a similar thing, which is it's almost like they they don't want to make the movie. They just want to get paid to hang out with each other because they like hanging out with each other so much. Right. And making all those dub smash videos that they used to make all the time. (laughs) Yeah. He just says there's nothing better than and no bigger laugh than when he's with the Star Trek cast. So. That's nice. I mean, look, it plays. It works on screen. It's why it's part of the reason those movies are so popular. I still believe the film will happen, but I'm not sure Paramount's going to make the release date of Christmas next year. They haven't moved it off the calendar yet, but they did move it once before. And um, my bet is it's looking more like a summer 2024 movie now. Yeah. But, and you know, it's no guarantee that it's going to happen for sure. No, but there are enough people committed to want to make it happen. In other movie news, the first Star Trek movie will be in theaters for sure, 100% for sure, next week, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. But Sunday, May 22nd, Monday, May 23rd, and May 25th. It's just a reminder that that's coming. This is through Fathom Events, so go to their website. If you're in L.A., a few of the screenings will have Q&A sessions with the people behind the remaster. This is going to be in full 4K. It's going to look great. It's going to sound great. I saw it on the Paramount lot, and you know it's really worth seeing this on the big screen. Yeah, I'm going on Wednesday. Let's switch to Star Trek Picard. It's behind us and ahead of us. Yep, there's still lots to talk about, even though the season's over and we don't know when the new one's coming. Um, there have been a lot of really cool um, videos and photos going up as of late from the production designers showing off sets and ships and all kinds of beautiful stuff. They built this wonderful Starfleet set or series of sets, and you actually didn't see all of it during season two of Picard. They shot a couple of episodes worth at the end of the production on season two. Um, But really this was a ship built for season three. And there's a great video uh, put out by Doug Drexler with Dave Blass, who's kind of giving a tour of the bridge with Mike Kuda and they're pointing out all the cool stuff. And, you know, Blass points out that how the ship's being redressed for season three. And they even blurred out part of one of the screens that kind of gives away what the ship is in season three. Blast did on Twitter confirm when a fan asks, "Is does the ship have a quote cool name?" and and he confirmed, "Yes, it is a cool name." So, <laughs> what does that you know? But I, you know, he probably thinks anything is cool. But I think it's a name we've heard before. It's got to be. It's not yes. going to be you know the USS Bob. You know, it's going to be something. <laughs> The only thing I think that that they could throw us a curveball is that 
maybe it's not a ship we know, but it's a name we know. Like, what if it's the USS Kirk, for example? Right, right. You know, which would be cool, right? And and it makes sense. Like, there's a USS Archer. Um, why sure. should you know? Although Archer only got one to sell, <laughs> <laughs> Kirk could get like six. But Archer um, <laughs> got a Archer's got a planet. I think multiple planets named after him. So he's he's doing fine. Right. I don't think he's complaining. But the thing that I loved about the video that Doug Drexler put up, besides like how cool it was to look at everything, was just the sheer enthusiasm and excitement of Doug being there, working on it, seeing Mike Akuda there. Like there was just so much enthusiasm and love for Star Trek in that video, as well as good, you know, ship porn. <laughs> Now, there is some more Star Trek Picard Season 3 stuff to talk about. Well, because Terry Metalis is still on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) For now. He is the showrunner, the sole showrunner for Season 3. That was really his primary focus, uh, which we think is part of the reason why Season 2 kind of went off the rails about halfway through. Is because he was working so hard on getting Season 3. Because they started shooting Season 3 literally the day after Season 2 wrapped. and. He's answering a few more questions. So there's going to be a time gap between season two and three. A year, he said. Yeah. Or over over a year. Yeah. Which there was between. And I think that lets them kind of reset the characters, move people around. You know, we saw seven and seven in command of the Stargazer. I I bet you that's not where she starts the season. And who knows where Picard and uh, Rafi end up. Like, are they back at the Academy or somewhere else? Uh, someone asked him, I mean, it's great that he's answering questions on, on Twitter. I mean, he's not answering every question pe- people put to him, but the, the teaser trailer when they announced the TNG cast is coming for season three showed Picard writing a little, a thank you note. Cause he's a polite gentleman. He's, and he, <laughs> you know, or I'm not sure if it was a thank you note, but it kind of looked like a thank you note. Right? <laughs> I like that you assumed it was a thank you note. <laughs> well, it was like, it was just a nice little note. It was like on a note card. And um, apparently it was a note he was sending to Jordy LaForge. Oh. Um, now, if you zoom in on it and use contrast, you could see the word family. So I think he's talking about Jordy's family. I suspect Jordy, because we know LaVar <laughs> wants uh, Jordy to like be a normal human being with a family. So I bet right. you he has a family in season three. Like LaVar Burton. Exactly. He's quite the family man. Right. Right. Or he could, who knows, it could also be saying, since you're my family. Oh, that's true. Please come and be on my ship and my show. (laughs) (laughs) Terry heavily hinted when someone asked if we're going to see Voyager and DS9 people, because obviously TNG is the big focus. And he, you know, used an emoji, which basically said, yes, you're going to see some more cameos outside of TNG. We are long overdue for some Deep Space Nine people. If you had to, okay, who do you want to see? Well, obviously, we're going to see Worf, who's both DS9 and TNG. But who, right. who's, who do you want to see most of all from DS9? I don't even have a most of all. Like, I'm like, you know, O'Brien makes sense for a lot of reasons. And yeah. He'd be great. Kira Norris would be great. Dr. Bashir. Like, honestly, bring them all. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's impossible to choose. Um, but I, I very much want to see Cole Meany and uh, O'Brien. So, yeah, I will choose. And, <laughs> and I don't think we're going to see Quark because I just think that the makeup is is more than Armin wants to deal with. 
Now, the other thing that Terry did, which is this is a little more subtle, but he follows a number of fans and uh, some fans have been talking about a Seven and Rafi spinoff show. Yeah, a lot of people. Because we know they're going to be in season three and we know season three is the end of it. And he's been retweeting them. So he's on board this idea. And he even had an exchange with with one person and he said he's not just supporting the idea, he's, quote, spearheading the idea, which sounds like there could be more to this than just him having some fun on Twitter. Because in an interview before season two, he talked about how, you know, he loves this era and he wants to do more stuff in this era. So why not? Right. And we know those two actresses would love to do that, would love to work together because they love each other and love doing Star Trek. So uh, I think it's actually a great idea. And, you know, fan buzz for a spinoff did sort of create Strange New Worlds, right? So, yep. Yep. It could happen again. So keep at it, everybody, I guess is the message. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's a new uh, Prodigy game coming in October, and they finally put out a trailer announcing the game and showing a little bit of what it's going to look like. It, it looks good. It, it's going to be a very kid-friendly game. The publisher just basically just does games for kids, you know, Paw Patrol and the like. You know, it's going to be on, like, every platform, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Switch, all the Xboxes, Steam, Stadia. It's going to cost 40 bucks, and it's a co-op game, uh, but it, you could also play it solo. So you play as either Dahl or Gwyn. I saw, I, I was invited to a little demo of the game. And it's a combo, you know, that you, you have to visit all these different planets, and you have to prevent a supernova, hence the name. Um, and you, and, and, and Everyone else has been captured and you need to, you know, release them. All the cast are providing voices. And so you choose to play as either Dahl or Gwyn, and then you could play a single player or co-op. Do you think it's easy enough for me to play? It, it's a combination of combat, which will be um, each of them has their own thing. She's got the sword. He's got phasers. But a lot of puzzle solving, that's like a big part of the game. You know, once you, it may take you a little while to like figure out kind of how all that works, but once you get it down, it, I, it looks like to be a lot of fun. So, and it's just exciting for there to be Star Trek games. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's actually another, you know, the Star Trek Resurgence, which is a more story based TNG era game, is coming this year. So it's kind of amazing that we're going to get two console PC games in 2022 for Star Trek. And I bet it's going to look beautiful because Star Trek Prodigy just lends itself to that. Yeah. Let's move on to that other almost Star Trek show, The Orville. <laughs> yeah, they released a new trailer chock full of stuff. It's a fun trailer. Well, full disclosure, I've seen a couple episodes. And it's the show is definitely meeting what they said it was going to be, which is it's epic. I mean, the first episode is like 70 minutes long. Whoa. And there's episodes as long as an hour and a half in season three or what they're calling New Horizons. So it's, it's wow. yeah, so the, they don't do two parters again. They just do a really long episode. How many episodes total in the season do you know? Well, the total of 10 episodes, but the runtime is like longer because there's so much content there. It's still a funny show, but it's now just kind of woven into the show more it, they're really leaning into the sci-fi and the drama 
Yeah, I got that sense from the trailer for sure, that the comedy was not front and center so much. I mean, compare that to the first trailer they put out, which apparently Seth hated, which made it look like a slapstick, you know, almost, you know, Seth MacFarlane type romp. You know, it was right. called it was called a spoof and a parody of Star Trek. This is not that at all. It is homage or pastiche, but it is definitely not a spoof <laughs> or a parody. And you did interviews, right, with the cast and producers. Yes, those are embargoed for now, but expect those starting to come up next week. And as we get close to the June 2nd launch of the season, um, and it'll be a weekly show, so it won't be all dropping. And it'll be on Hulu in the USA and uh, Disney Plus and Star around the world, including Canada. We'll be reviewing episodes on a weekly basis on the site Danish will be doing those as he did last year, last season, it wasn't last year, it was years ago now, but we won't be doing them on this podcast. So, cause that would just take forever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have no time to add another show. Uh, exactly. But we'll still be talking about it here on the pod with updates and news and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. Cause there's, there's so much crossover behind the scenes and in front of the camera. There's always a lot of crossover there. Exactly. Let's, Switch to Strange New Worlds. So this is, you know, where we'll start getting into spoilers. There's a couple little news tidbits. Firstly, uh, we put up a video and some behind-the-scenes photos from the show, just showing off how they weave together practical effects and the AR wall technology on this show. It's like a holodeck. I mean, it, it's it's extraordinary when you think about it. Yeah. This show, I think, is doing a really good job. I mean, like Some things I didn't even realize they were doing, like the cafeteria set, by the way, I guess that's what they call it, the kind of restaurant set that we've seen. Right. They build that on the AR wall stage so that the windows can show the space outside. And obviously for engineering, and we see a lot of that in this episode, right? Yeah. So, but there's real – I mean, I think the thing that people were concerned – because when you're in engineering and you're there with Hammer, whatever, there's a lot of practical elements. You know, he's got his levers and his dials and his consoles, and there's a giant warp. Well, they, they do a weird thing on the show where they have kind of traditional TNG-era vertical warp core in the middle of the room. But then there's the kind of elongated TOS warp core tunnel behind right. the set, which – is now just this gigantic virtual set. I think it's great, but uh, some people are like, oh, you know, they miss the old days and it like to, looks too big. But I think that's they're like they've got the money, so the you know, the enterprise is just bigger. Everything's bigger. Pike's quarters are bigger. Everything's bigger. They're huge. Yeah, yeah. So there's also um, so the showrunner Henry Alonzo Myers has been talking about an episode that's coming up. So this is spoilery for sure. This is about an episode that's airing in a couple of weeks. But he says there's a comedy episode coming up, which is episode five. And he said that he he was sort of defending the idea that Star Trek can be funny. So I guess someone told him Star Trek shouldn't be funny. I don't know who's saying that because there have always been funny episodes from the original series. There have been funny episodes along with music going do, 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 um, just to alert you to the fact that it's funny. Um, so he says they have a really talented cast and he wants and they are experimenting with different genres and strange new worlds and so he has one that he thinks is a really good comedy that he loved writing and being involved in 
the, the episode is called Spockamuck. We've seen it. Um, yes. In the article, it's revealed it is a body swap episode. We've seen, you know, obviously Freaky Friday, but we've seen this on Star Trek before, like when <laughs> Seven and the Doctor swapped bodies. In this case, it's Spock. Well, they didn't swap. So the swap we saw was Kirk and Dr. Janice Lester. Okay, so that was a pure swap. Whereas, the, the, yeah, there was more just the Doctor controlling Seven for a little yes. while. Yeah. And this is Spock into Pring switching. And uh, it leads to hijinks, of course. What's interesting about this episode, it is funny, is is how different it is from episode four, which is a more submarine style thriller um, with lots of battle stuff. And I, I, Henry talked about how it's good to do the funny episode after the kind of serious, you know, military episode. For this week and then the next following weeks, you you really start getting the variety pack sense of the yeah. show, for sure. And we'll talk about that in more detail, obviously, when we get to that episode. Exactly. So should we talk about this episode? Yes, let's talk about Ghosts of Illyria. Kind of an Una episode. So what Very you much an Una episode. I think specifically the Una episode I was saying I wanted, which is I wanted her to be doing more and I wanted to see her as second in command. And I got to see her in command, which took it all to the level I've been hoping for. Although the ship didn't go anywhere. Did she ever sit in the captain's chair? She did. There's a great, when she first comes into the bridge to say, Captain and Spock are down on the planet and we have to wait to get them. First, she comes in and she stands behind the chair and she put her two hands on it. And then she came around and as she sat in it, they played a little original series music. But she was barely in the captain's chair. She was barely in the captain's chair, but it was more, it wasn't that I wanted her sitting in the chair. I wanted her in charge and doing things. And she was in charge and doing things. Oh, yeah. She was all over the ship. She basically oh visited every set they've got. Literally running from one section to the next. <laughs> yeah. So let's go higher level, though. What did you think of the episode overall? I liked it. You know, it was a solid, it was a mystery episode or kind of a dual mystery. Again, like I think all Strange New Worlds will be kind of it's familiar but different you know so it's a medical mystery and an alien mystery on the planet it was good it, it, i had a couple quibbles i think it ended a little weird i think it ended a, a couple of times right there was a good ending and then just and then it like kept and going then there, were, <laughs> there were three more good endings i have thoughts on how they could have done a better job there <laughs> um but no it was a solid good way to reveal more about una a little bit more about laan a lot of good dialogue and so no i liked it very much solid third outing for the series keeps on going on yep i would agree i thought overall like good story lots of fun scenes and in general except for the very end i, th I think their pacing's really really good Keeps you going from one scene to the next and enjoying each one that you have. I think there were a few times they, you know, tend to hit things on the nose where they could be more subtle or interesting about it. Now, and, you tell you, because this episode had a theme, a couple things, oh, yes. I would say, and, you know, but obviously I feel like, especially when you compare it to the first episode, so this episode was dealing with prejudice. And I thought it was more subtle. I thought it was much better at, at weaving yes. that theme in. And and importantly, it was putting a mirror up to Star Trek itself because, you know, the Federation and Starfleet has this thing where basically genetically modified people are verboten entirely. And this episode is asking the question of, well, you know, is that really 
smart? Like, why would you do that? Right. And why did you let this one experience with this one group of people make you get rid of a whole group of people? The point here was that a very bad thing happened on Earth, specifically, and somehow, you know, the humans got the entire Federation to just say genetically modification is bad for any species. Right. No matter who we run into, no matter who's in the Federation, and there's dozens, hundreds of species out there, and yet we're going to let our one experience, you know, be the way we look at that. And I thought, you know, and that's a good question to ask is, you know, can't we learn from our mistakes and can something that happened bad to one people really apply in all other circumstances? And I think, and and can we be more open-minded? And I think the way they did that in the story was good. I just felt there were certain moments where they were like, just in case you didn't get it, we're going to say some words now and spell it all out for you in ways that could have been done. I think more dramatically or more interestingly than just, straight on conversation the other side of this is because this is an episode about secrets mm-hmm. um, and there's two, two characters specifically who have big secrets i think you know it's it's kind of subtle but a little on the nose you know this notion of when you shine a light on secrets the fa- <laughs> the famous brandeis quote of uh light is the best disinfectant right and so all of this stuff about light right was about shining a light to expose these secrets and have them come out. Um, although in the end they still were secret, right? So, right. Yes. so the, some people saw the light, but the secrets are still going to remain secret. No. And I felt like Mabenga's secret people kind of need to know that. Yeah. Well, that there was a, there's a whole lot going on there that, <laughs> That makes me have 500 more questions about what's going on and how he managed that and how that's going to keep going and how they could have people not know about that. And what and the larger implications of the fact that if someone has a disease, as long as you rematerialize them every once in a while, you can keep them indefinitely in the buffer until you find a cure like that would be either widely applied or forbidden or something. Maybe they're implying he's the first person who figured out a way to use the transporter in this way. Although Scotty, of course, successfully did it for 80 years. Right. And the, but the big difference with Scotty's was that he wasn't he didn't get to rematerialize. Like his friend didn't make it. Right. And that they made that yeah. big deal out of that, that his friend didn't make it. And he did. And part of this. So Mabenga's little qualifier is, well, you have to, you know, come out of it every once in a while. But I still think like it's it's rather selfish if he has discovered this thing and isn't sharing it or he thinks they're not going to let him do it. There's so many pieces of that. And my I hope they'll explore them. And isn't there suspended animation technology? Mm. Can't you freeze people? um, Isn't that what happened to Khan? Yeah. Um, So (laughs) have they have they lost suspended animation technology? It's just I don't know. There's there are. There are too many questions and not enough answers. The the big question I have for the Una storyline here is Pike basically says, I've learned a lesson on the planet about Illyrians, as we were just talking, and I've learned that maybe we are a little prejudiced towards Illyrians. Great, right? But then what? Because he says, I'll welcome that argument to the Federation. But I guess the question that we don't know is, so is he going to tell them? Because otherwise, there's a massive curve because, 
you get Mabenga and Nurse Chapel and Laon, a lot of people learned the secret and would have to, because reports have to be sent, like, yes. you know, how did how did you cure the thing, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so either there's now a massive cover-up to where now they're all involved in the conspiracy to cover her up and their falsifying records, or he's gone to the Federation and said, you know what? Maybe we should let her in. Maybe, you know, she's Illyrian, but that's okay. And and you guys are, and you should understand. And I, I assume we'll figure this out later, but that's yeah. a big, I mean, which she's way talked they... about, about how this story is going to have tendrils. You know, it's going to go even beyond season one, she said. And we'll find that it's, it's okay. I guess that they didn't tell us. I kind of wish they did, but it's okay that they didn't tell. I just hope. And I assume that this is going to play out. I mean, cause they want, you know, cause if, if you look backwards, as we said, we didn't learn much about Una, but they did set up very important things, especially the Laon Una relationship in the first two episodes, which played out in a big way in this episode because, you know, she didn't La- tell Laon. Yeah, who was like her best, you know, her closest confidant on the ship. And that's how much of a secret it was. And, you know, they had uh, uh, that great scene, not just, you know, the fight scene was cool, but I mean, where they, you know, had to reveal the truth. And, you know, it just, and you have to think of how much it hurt Una when Lon comes in and says, oh, yeah, Augments, they are the worst. I hate those people. Right. You know, because she was taunted as a child for being one even though she's not i guess because uh, generations ago or whatever it's 200 years so. yeah so there's there's a trace of it in there and actually when i interviewed her she said something like who knows if she has some of those qualities but obviously she's not demonstrating them no i did like that they were eating strawberries because coincidentally while i was watching it i was eating strawberries oh, see they know you they knew that was so weird yeah uh, um, but I listen back to um, number one and Pike. I thought their conversation when he says, you know, you are, you defile the stereotypes and you saved everybody on the ship. And then she goes back and she says in her log, which she then deletes, like, what if I hadn't? I almost wanted part of that conversation to be between the two of them. I wanted her to say, but what if I hadn't? Like, I, what if I was just an ensign or just this? Like, what would your opinion be different? And I would, I, would imagine he would be reassuring, dismissive, and she would still be bothered by it. And I felt like that could have actually deepened that a little bit. Maybe he would think about it, maybe he wouldn't. But that is a huge burden that I think a lot of people have as they feel this, that they now have to be the representative of whatever marginalized group that they're in. So they have to be perfect. Right. Because when she says, you know, what if I wasn't one of the quote, good ones? I just want to be, right. I just want to be me. So again, right. a good right. modern message, I think. Right. And I just think it could have been tweaked just a little more for for Mr. Good Intentions to have to ask himself that question as well. Because he was saying she was an example of what he saw as a positive view of all Illyrians that they'd kind right. of everyone had them wrong because the ones on the planet clearly showed that they were trying to join the Federation and uh, which kind of bit them in the ass as it were. Um, yep. And, but they still saved him even though they knew he was obviously from the Federation and they wanted him and Spock to know, you know, yes. so that's how important it was to them. Right. And she's the best first officer in the fleet, he said. So again, it raises that question, like, what happens when you're not the best one 
and you're just a normal one. And so I think, you know, she raised it and deleted it, which I liked, but I, I still think that could have had a little more oomph. But I, I did love all those scenes with Pike and Spock, who I keep calling Spike and Pock in my head by accident. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the planet, I thought that was great. I, again, I'm loving Ethan Peck and the way that he is being Spock, like just so intellectually curious that he's wandered off and is still the whole time much more interested in reading and getting information than the anxiety and emotion of what's going on around them. There's great Spock dialogue, and he is acting very Spockian. But I go back and forth on this issue of, is he too familiar with the captain? Like when the captain's pacing and Spock basically just starts mocking him for, uh, you know, a watched pot, you know. Um, and it just, it seems... This this is the thing about the show. Of is it is it all too casual? Even Spock of being too casual with his captain because he is he's just a lieutenant at this point. In that particular scene, I felt this is where I got super nitpicky. A slight dialogue change to me would have changed the tone of that conversation because I did notice it too, and it's because he says pacing relentlessly back and forth will not change the situation. And if he had not said this is so nitpicky, if he had not said relentlessly, which is the judgment. Yes. And if he had just said pacing back and forth will not change the situation, that's less familiar and accomplishes the same thing. Exactly. It's more of an observation, a, yes. a, a logical observation. I, you know, he's, he, uh, he wasn't applying logic. He was making a judgment. And yes. That, so it's funny. We picked up on the exact same thing. And I felt like that to me just felt like a slight mistake. And so I wanted to see it more the way that I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> because I just because I liked all the observation and I liked that he was so fascinated that the danger he was oblivious to, which is a quality he will continue to have as time goes on. I loved the kind of reverse version of that later where Pike is aiming his phaser at the door and Spock is still reading. <laughs> and <laughs> and Pike's like, does that thing have a stun setting? <laughs> and he, he says, uh, I'm arming us with knowledge you know yes yes i know all that stuff was really good and i think it's establishing a nice relationship between the two of them again if you just remove that one word then i think we're we're right where i want them to be and yeah and it was good to get pike off the ship so that una could have her adventures and be in charge on the ship you know this was definitely her episode now when did you figure out that something was well, I mean, one of the problems, of course, is Rebecca has been going out there saying, I've got this big secret. <laughs> and and she's even said, and it's coming in episode three. But the first time I watched this is before we had heard her talk about that stuff. Same. And the first time I watched it, I was I was mad at her because she experiences this thing and doesn't tell anyone. And then they say, oh, did you have any experience? She goes, no. And I'm thinking, what the, f-? like, what is up with her? And of course, it all fits but that's exactly how they wanted me to feel so you know good good job is what i would say about that i think the the, the aha moment the way they wanted to play it was when she picks hammer up like a sack of spuds that was great by the way and and then of course if you didn't get it when chapel says how did you pick him up you know so right just in case you didn't notice you, he, she shouldn't be picking him up right they do that thing like darkness hates light light hates darkness like they just have to you know, push that. And that's not just this show. It's all of them. One of the confusing things was this was a light based disease, but she also had a light based 
a defense mechanism, right? And so, like, I wasn't because the first time when she kind of reject when her body rejected the disease, I wasn't sure if she was kind of becoming more infected. At that point, it took me a little while to figure out. Oh, that was her immune system kicking in. Yeah, and I thought maybe she was unaware of what had happened. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Illyrians, obviously an important part of this episode, but some fans will remember the name because it comes from an Enterprise episode, season three episode called Damage, uh, which featured the Enterprise coming across an Illyrian ship. And the Illyrians were your kind of typical Berman era forehead aliens in that case. And you know, Archer had to basically steal their warp core to finish his mission. And, you know, there was a moral quandary. So number one, Una does not look like the Illyrians from that episode, even though it's spelled the same, but there is a reason for that. And that is they are actually going deeper into Trek lore for the Illyrians back to the books. Una's name actually came from the books as well. So they are using the quote beta canon to mine stuff for Una. And so the Illyrians were actually established in books going back as far as the 80s. In fact, there's a book called Vulcan's Glory written by DC Fontana, which connects Una to the Illyrians for the first time. There's other books that connect them to genetic modification. And so that's what the writers are doing. They are they are canonizing, although they're making some changes as well, but they are using the books to fill in some of these gaps and then adding their own elements. I think it's interesting that, you know, it shows there's people on the staff. It, it could be Henry himself, I don't know, who are well-versed in the extended universe of yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. But they, there was no indication that genetically modifying is a new thing for the Illyrians because you talked about how it's been part of their culture when they visit another planet. And then I liked this idea of we don't yes. terraform the planet. We terraform ourselves. Right. I thought planet. that was a really cool idea, which is like, we don't, yeah, we don't mess with nature and we don't mess with environments. We mess with ourselves. And I thought that was intriguing. Now this is the first time we've had Laan talk about being an ancestor. They talked about Khan which I think was the first time he's been mentioned on the show. It took him three whole episodes to get there. I also thought the fight in engineering was meant to echo a little bit of the Kirk Khan fight. Mm-hmm. Indeed. You know, she kind of admitted, you know, being picked on as a kid and being called an augment became a little less of a childhood trauma after the whole you know, <laughs> watching my parents be turned into egg sacs by the Gorn. You know, yes. that, that was a little hard, you know, a little harder to deal with. I know. It's like, you think getting teased is bad. Wait till you see what's coming. (laughs) And I like them talking about like how important Starfleet is to them. Again, this is a theme that's come up more than once um, and what Starfleet is and why it's important. And I'm glad that we're sort of back in that phase of talking about Starfleet that way. Makes me happy. And when they're saying Starfleet sometimes gets things wrong. Yeah, Starfleet's not perfect and that's what una says one of the things i like it's easy to miss but i i did like uh before the scene with that fight in sick bay in the background you could see laon wake up like a zombie yes. in sick bay. yes but it's not like they don't focus on it 
So you kind of have to notice it. And then later she's the one in engineering. And in a way she's knocked out chapel to get there. Right. Exactly. Uh, But they don't explain that. They don't show that. Right. Which they don't need to. I mean, there's a beautiful example of when you don't need to show something. No, that's what I'm saying. I like that, that they, they, it's all part of this mystery of why is chapel on the ground. And, but I liked how the way she sat up like a zombie and, I think in a way they've set this up because Lon has always rejected um, sedatives. Stuff like that. So maybe she's got some kind of, I don't know, there's something about her system or whatever where they don't even work on her anyway. So this show is thinking ahead and uh, these things are all tied together. And it's only the third episode where we're seeing these little tiny connections back and forth. And, and I liked that. Yeah, I did too. And I appreciated the subtlety of that particular scene as well. That was really good. And then the one with Hammer, when he was beaming in the core of the planet, like <laughs> with the, the mantle. Yeah. And he was like, you're going to love this. It's going to be great. <laughs> this <laughs> I, is our, that was... I mean, we got a little bit of, we didn't really talk about it much last week. We just got a little bit of Hammer last week. Um, this was our first real sense of, how curmudgeonly he really is. Yeah, he like uh, complains about having to do his job, which I have to say <laughs> is generally considered bad form, I would say for all of us. <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean, I think they're starting him off on Max curmudgeon. Max, yes. You know, he, I'm sure he'll bond with people and seem nicer later because, yeah, in this episode, he is just kind of a jerk. Basically. Yeah, he's like, oh, it's going to take so long. It's going to take all night. He's mad. But I did love, there's a very funny shot of him where they say, they have this whole, actually it was kind of a funny scene overall, because they say, prepare for temporary engagement of emergency systems backups, like it's a really big deal, right? And then you just see the lights blink, and everybody stops for a second, and they just keep going, like that was it, I guess. And then they, sh- and then the way he rose into the frame, did you <laughs> Yeah, that. that was like just just a little comedy moment that made me laugh really hard. And then he said he was a genius. Yes. Then he said he was a genius. And when he was talking to her and she had that look on her face and he says, I could sense your look. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they're going to be a lot of fun together and he's going to be a lot of fun. Getting back to the medical mystery stuff. I feel like this show was informed by the fact that it was written during the COVID pandemic. So we had a lockdown. There was mm-hmm. a lot of there was a lot of terminology that I think they were using from the world of COVID to kind Contact of Contact tracing was one of the expressions and they they know that people know what that means. Right, and people working in zones, which they literally do on the show. There's the yeah. A zone, the B zone. They were trying to get some real science, some some COVID science into this episode, I feel. Right, without the COVID politics. So that was a good choice. Yes, although... There wasn't anyone who said, I don't believe this is real. <laughs> and there wasn't, <laughs> and there weren't people arguing about, you know, treatments <laughs> and their rights. It was just the medical part of it. And not knowing how it spread is a big, that is the biggest problem when you can't figure out how it spread. Although they did eventually figure out it spread through light through because Uhura likes to sleep in the dark. <laughs> it's like the princess and the pea. Yeah. I was like that though the princess and the pea didn't couldn't have a lumpy mattress. But I get what you're t- I understand what your point yeah, is. Yeah. Which is it has to be perfect or you can't sleep. Which is that's a tough one <laughs> in your life if you're gonna be on starships. 
I did like how cramped her quarters were because I guess it shows how not everyone gets to live the life of, you know, because Una's quarters are big. Obviously, Pike's quarters are ridiculously huge, but Una's got big quarters. But when you're a cadet, you you are basically bunking with randos. And, yeah, it's, uh, it wasn't quite like a hallway, like on Lower Decks, <laughs> but but, it, but I like that she was bunking with, with different, you know, with guys and different people and small quarters and all of that. But getting back to the medical mystery again, how did you feel about the fact that Babenga, I mean, they were, Babenga and Chapel were trying to help, but this this really wasn't their thing. They never really solved it except kind of at the end when Una, how did you feel about how this thing was solved? Which is Una had the, she realized she would be the key to this. And he's like, well, you know, that's not how your system works. But in the end, it did work only because it happened again with the radiation. Right. And what he said was, had I been there at the moment of infection, I could have maybe figured something out. Right. But he kind of basically said, this is not going to work and put me to sleep. So he really wasn't part of the solution. In fact, no, Chapel was a little bit, but she woke Chapel up, I guess, to solve the problem. I guess Chapel's better at handling whatever she needed to handle. Well, but Chapel he, wasn't infected, right? I guess that was it. Chapel was, yeah, yeah. So, cause Chapel was only unconscious because Laon um, knocked her out. Right. Cause usually on these medical mystery things, the, you know, the, the, the sick bay personnel, the doctor crushers of this world are, are, you know, at least help come up with the solution. But really they, they not only did Babenga, not come up with a solution, but he was causing problems. He was pretending the lights were off and, and trying to trick Hammer and yep. and hiding his daughter. And in a sense, he was making things, he, it was his fault. The yeah, whole thing. it was definitely, yep. Well, partly, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just feel like, I'm just not sure that that was necessary. I'm not, I'm just not. Unless it's going to be a really big thing that happens later. I don't understand why it was necessary. And it was just kind of confusing. They didn't need to make it his fault. They could have found another reason why the transporters didn't work in this one situation. Or they should have had at the end him going to Pike with Una and telling him. Yeah, he should certainly have come clean because she figured it out. Right. And then you just kind of had the same ending over and over again where she she comes clean to Pike but then she figures him out, but then he's like, okay, well, I'll quit. But she just quit, you know? So how could she hand him over to Starfleet the second after Pike didn't hand her over? You know, that that was a, there was no drama to that. Yeah, and I did feel that all could have been threaded better, not just because she was in every scene, but I feel like they, if had they created a stronger connection from each of those little tags at the end, it wouldn't have felt like four different endings. In a way, though, it's kind of like, well, this was a great episode, and then it had this like extra bit that we didn't need, but it doesn't right. take away from, I think, How good was it a was. very strong Agreed. episode. And I really like the landing party jackets, so they, they, they make up for it. I like the landing party jackets, too. Yeah, there's a lot to like about this episode. So I would, all my things are, are small, are things I would have tweaked, I yeah. would say. Just small tweaks I would have done here and there. And I thought the effects were good. I thought it looked really good. The storms look good. I love when there's a good old-fashioned eye on storm. And I loved when Kyle was like, we can't beam up because who knows what we'll get back. And I was thinking, you'll get mirror people is what you'll get. So don't do that. 
um, because Ion Storm, but. (laughs) I thought that storm over the planet was just amazing looking. Yeah, so did I. Looked beautiful. One could only assume that these Ion Storms showed up later, because if you showed up at a planet like that, you're like, oh, let's put a colony Colony, here. (laughs) And, And a library full of useful information. Yeah. I, at the creation, not the creation, at the Chicago convention, they had one of those cylinders there, and they're really intricate. It was mislabeled as a Vulcan artifact. Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, it was very cool. Um, it just shows you just, you'll never see the level of detail that they have on these things. But, yeah. You know, it was all written and cool and everything. So. And I also, um, in addition to the look of everything, I just thought all the techno babble was really good in this episode. Some good yeah. old fashioned techno babble that I enjoyed very much, including you know the the chemical makeup of vitamin D, yes, um, which is real. Um, yeah, no, that, that it was all it was all good stuff. There was a mention of the common cold, yeah, um, which they just never can solve because years later McCoy's still working on it, and they've still got the common cold in the TNG era. Yeah, right. So I like uh, that. It's a nice touch. Yeah. They should, you know, in the 32nd century on Discovery, do they still have the common cold? Is the I assume they do. I also assume it's almost a backup for when they have actors who just have sore throats or <laughs> nasal things. Like on the Delta Flyers, I notice um, Garrett always notices when he had a cold when he was recording dialogue. <laughs> I did like that we got our first ripped shirt, even though it was Una's. Yes. It made she- me think of Kirk and his ripped shirts, which I enjoyed. And she ripped her own shirt yes she ripped her own shirt <laughs> um although she was smart enough not to, to get a new one before she went to sick bay yes i was wondering if she was going to do that and then she did because uh, she'd <laughs> have to explain herself you know this is you know, i mean and we've seen this before I, I thought there would have been more of it if the thing where but basically everyone's infected except one person right it's always like data or seven or seven or someone's immune to whatever it is dr flocks spock yeah it's yeah. usually spock i mean that's yeah. their challenge with this one which you brought up i think last week which is spock used to be other and now he's going to yeah. become other but he's less so now uh you know i would have liked to have said, seen more of una just kind of alone on the dark on the ship in the dark in fact the ship never really looked that dark it's it was still, always it just glows there's always a glow <laughs> I don't yeah. need all that glowing. <laughs> you can't, you just can't turn it off on that ship. It's just yeah. too bright. No matter where you go, something's on, I guess. Yep. But the, it did have the classic feel, um, you know, of, uh, I mean, I thought for a second they were going to go full on naked now where people are going to be running around and screaming and going crazy like that. Um, but it is similar to that kind of thing that we've seen on Star Trek. Yeah. Well, because what I called him emo Ensign Lance. But it was um, Ensign Lance, who looked really out of place, I have to say. <laughs> it's something about his haircut. I don't know. Um, I was like, who's that guy? It took me a minute to realize he was part of the crew. Um, but he's the one who first smashes his head against the glass. So he's the one. He takes off his pants. Were you surprised that Ensign Lance survived the episode? Yeah, certainly after he poked his face through the glass. It seemed like he was going to be the first casualty. I thought as soon as he opened that cabinet and we saw the little sparkly things and it was obvious something bad happened, right, Um, on the planet, I'm like, oh, this guy's toast, right? Because, you know, he was wearing a red shirt. And, yeah, you know, he did end up 
the you know being the first person infected and but they didn't kill him off in fact i don't think anyone died and i'm not sure if i'm reading too much into this but it could be that they don't this is one element of tos they're using a lot of elements of tos but the kind of random red shirt death of introduce a character and then immediately kill him off to show the stakes they're not going to do that or or at least they're going to do it more sparingly you know it's interesting in the first i think it was the first episode when they go on that mission pike says no one's gonna die he actually says it we're all coming back no one's gonna die on this mission and no one did and no one did and so i that now that I think about it, that was a message to the audience as well as to his crew. Because I thought that was a bold statement to make to your crew. Um, a good one, but a bold one. But I think that was a statement to us as well. And yeah, I do think maybe they're saying we're not going to be so casual about that. I mean, original series was pretty casual about it. Because people would be killed and then at the end of the episode they'd have a cute little tag where they're all like, ha, 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 And they'd never something. be mentioned again. Right. Sometimes the actors would even come back and play other roles Um, or the same role. Um, And and Picard was like killing people right and left this season. Yeah. I mean, I suspect people will die on this show. I mean, you know. But it'll mean something. It won't be like just a casual, oh, that guy. Right. It won't be a joke, you know, that someone dies, essentially. I don't think it was ever a joke, but I know what you mean. It It won't be irrelevant or easily dismissed or like shoe at least it wasn't uh, the people we care about i'm not sure there's anything else there's left to say about this episode i think we've kind of covered it we liked yeah. it yeah it was fun um i would still you know it's i'd i'd rank it i mean it's, it's too early to rank but it's 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 good well, we can rank among the the three the first three two still my favorite i would i would put this even with i mean the first it's always the pilot episodes are their own thing and they have you know it's hard to judge them compared to other things because there's there's a job they have to do because the you know as i've said the plot is kind of an afterthought but i i i think this one had a good interesting plot i think i still liked the second one a little bit better but no this is almost as good almost as yeah good as so far episode. for me it's two three and one yeah. and they're all still pretty close together yeah i i think fans will very much enjoy this one like they did you know because the show's getting really a great response so far from fans and critics you know it's got ridiculously high rotten tomatoes rating i don't mean that in a bad way i mean it's it should it's just, yeah it's yep. it, it's doing really well and I feel like I'm always trying to look at it two ways. So first I look at it through my own eyes as a Star Trek fan. And then I do try to take a step back and, and imagine, because like I said, I think this will be a good entry point for a lot of people. If you're seeing Star Trek for the first time, is this going to work for you? And I'm like, yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. It had humor. It had action. You know, you got a fight scene. Um, you had a it mystery. Had big ideas as well as concrete dangers. It's good. Yeah. everything you want from a star trek episode just like the last week they're doing what they said they were gonna do yeah um the aliens you know the the plasma aliens were cool looking and classic star trek you think they're bad guys they turned out to be nice guys and i love that scene where they hit the ground and they're almost hugging and then they get like this sort of dome protective dome formed over them i thought that all looked great and that we were realizing it as they were but why did pike say 
dropped to the ground. Like it made sense if he knew that they were going to form the dome, it made sense, but he just said dropped to the ground. But what was, what was next? Cause what if they turned out to be bad guys? No, I think that was their last possible anything. They couldn't run. There was nowhere to go. So, and the storm was coming in too. So at this point it was like, just duck. Duck and cover, which would have about as useful as it ever was. <laughs> if only they had those little personal shields from the animated series, right. um, which make <laughs> a whole lot like of sense. An outline drawn around their bodies. Yes. And again, the two storylines were woven together just enough. Um, everyone got something to do. Even Hura really wasn't part of this episode, but she had her little moment. Same with Ortegas. Like, she wasn't really a part of it, but she had a really good moment. Uh, what did she say? Whatever floats your freak or whatever. Something like that. <laughs> I thought that was, she's like, maybe you want to do that in your quarters. So that was, again, we get their personalities, which I liked. And I liked Una sitting next to her going, you know, hey, you got anything to do? Doing anything? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that was good. I also noticed that the episode was directed by Leslie Hope, who's known as an actress as well as a director. She was Jack Bauer's wife on 24, but she was also Karen Arise's mother on Deep Space Nine in the episode Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night. Wow, what a small Star Trek world we live in. Indeed. So that's it for episode three. All right, so I think we should do our bits of the week. Tony, what have you got? Mine is another Star Trek education thing. There's a school in Brooklyn that has been had having a lot of students from foreign countries, a lot of um, refugees, and the teachers were struggling with how to deal with this. And the school brought in some uh, educational professionals to help the teachers understand this experience. And the way they did it was they came in and taught the teachers Klingon <laughs> to, of course they did to show the teachers what it would be like to be in an alien place and have to learn an alien language as a way for them to come to understand the experiences of their own students. And I think, I don't know. I just think Use it's beautiful. Yeah, using Klingon to teach empathy is interesting, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it got covered in the local news, of course, because it's unusual, which is fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, mine is back to our friend Robert Hewitt Wolf, who's always a good Twitter follow. That's for sure. But every once in a while, he does a Q&A. Um, I think the last time I talked about one, it was because he was drunk and answering questions and wanted to answer sex questions about Deep Space Nine. This one was broader. and It was about, you know, any show that he'd worked on. But it's such an interesting thread because someone asked, there was a beautiful part where someone asked if he liked to hang out on the Deep Space Nine set. And he was like, hell yes. And he even slept. He had a nap once in one of the bunks on the Defiant. He said, there's so much other good stuff in there. Like someone said, is there anything that you know about sort of canon that or, you know, lore, Deep Space Nine lore that that viewers don't know? And he said, yes, Bajorans have a keen sense of smell and those smells evoke emotions. So Kira was literally smelling decades of torture and murder every waking second she was on Deep Space Nine. Ooh, ouch. Yeah. And he also, he talked, someone asked if he watches the new shows and he mentioned that he really liked the uh, time loop episode from season one of Discovery and that he really likes Lower Decks. Um, and said, someone said, would you write for any of the new shows? And he was like, yes. So 
just a really good you should i will we'll put up a link to the thread but it's definitely a fun read as he always is you know i i since you mentioned Robert Hewitt Wolf, I think it's it's worth mentioning that last week Fox News put up an editorial that was calling out Star Trek for being quote too woke, and Robert Hewitt Wolf like jumped in and you know basically called you know as a Star Trek writer to point out that you know it always has been and yes yes that went hugely viral you know it was covered i mean like it was like you know, his his takedown of them got more coverage than their original attempt at attacking star trek for being woke which frankly i just think they i mean you know that's their specialty it's those <laughs> kinds of headlines that they know they're like let's get someone to write this story so that people will get mad and share it. And it certainly, I saw it being shared everywhere. The funny thing is like, I saw this covered on Reddit. So like even people who don't know Star Trek were like, there is no surprise here. There is no shock value. It is. And always has been yes. a progressive show from the very beginning. Yeah. Where's the outrage? Yeah, we've talked about how some things are a little heavy handed here and there, but that's in how they do the stories. It's not the message itself, which is right. always been, which has been consistent. Yep. Anyway, I just thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah. Nice for him to chime in on that, too. OK, I think we've pretty much covered it for the week. See you next week for another episode of Strange New Worlds and another episode of All Access Star Trek. See you then.